Welcome to this edition of Amazing Creation. I'm your host, Fred Johnson. This show is about the credibility of the scriptures as they pertain to the creation of the world and our origins, and in contrast to the dogma of evolution. The show is produced by the Triangle Association for the Science of Creation. That's shortened to TASC, T-A-S-C, a Raleigh, North Carolina group of scientists and lay folks whose mission is to increase awareness of the scientific evidence supporting the plain, straightforward understanding of the biblical account of creation. Evolution is almost universally now taught in our public schools, colleges, and universities as the origin of all of life we see around us. But there are many, including highly educated scientists, who see evolution not only as impossible, but moreover as untenable when made to stand beside the revealed Word of God in the Bible. Today we have with us Everett Coates for our program, who's a member of TASC. Everett, about how long have you been involved with TASC? It's been five or six years. Okay, thank you. Well, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Fred. Well, I grew up in Johnston County and uh, graduated from Clayton High School in 1970. I attended North Carolina State University, graduating in 1975 with a B.S. in geology. Interestingly, another member of TASC, Dr. Gerald Van Dyke, taught my freshman biology class. Um, Unlike most who studied geology, I did not really have a lifelong desire to become a geologist. And for a long time, I wondered why I took that path in college rather than studying soil science, which was the career path I had planned to take and did take. Uh, I have worked in the field of soil science for most of the past 38 years. I worked with the USDA agency, known then as the Soil Conservation Service, now Natural Resources Conservation Service. Uh, I have classified and mapped soils in several counties in eastern North Carolina. I have also worked as a private soil science consultant to the real estate development community. I'm currently employed by the Wake County Department of Environmental Services as an environmental engineer, although I also perform duties of a soil scientist in that I provide a consultative function to our on-site wastewater staff as they evaluate the soil on building lots for improvement permits. Thank you, Everett. On our program today, we'll be discussing the fossil record and its importance to the question of evolution versus the biblical account of creation. Everett, in the landmark book known by its partial title, The Origin of Species, Charles Darwin made the claim that the fossil record, which at that time was very incomplete, would one day be complete and would provide all the evidence needed that evolution was true. What exactly is the fossil record? The fossil record is simply all of the fossils that have been found and studied in the past 200 years or so. In the mid-1800s, it consisted of maybe a few tens or hundreds of thousands of fossils because the science of paleontology was brand new, and and so the fossil record was correctly considered to be very incomplete. There were huge gaps in the presumed evolutionary sequence of the fossils. The incompleteness of the record was why Darwin felt confident in placing his faith in fossils that would be found later for the, the proof of his idea of evolution by natural selection. Today, the number of fossils that have been found is is in the many millions with known fossil beds that have not been excavated and which contain millions more individual specimens that have not been studied and classified. What kind of evidence was Darwin expecting to be found in the fossils? He expected that many transitional fossils would be unearthed. Uh, These transitional fossils, his theory predicted, 
which show a gradual change from one species or type of organism to another. That is, they would reveal a slow accumulation over millions of years of new physical characteristics, showing exactly how, for instance, a fish changed into an amphibian, or an amphibian into a reptile, right on up to humans. There must be this continual, gradual change in living organisms preserved in the fossils in order for his theory to be true. In fact, transitional fossils would have to dominate the entire fossil record. The vast majority of fossils would be transitional, since there would have been so much evolution going on. That must be the case in order for the idea of gradualism, or slow and gradual change throughout Earth history, to be a valid biological and geological concept. So there's the concept of transitional fossils that are needed to show evolution taking place throughout an assumed hundreds of millions of years of geologic time. I believe there are other concepts that are predicted to be shown by the fossil record if evolution is true. Can you tell us about those? Yes, there is the uh, concept of fossil range. That means that the, the period of assumed geologic time that an organism would have lived would be shown in the rock layers. An organism that was assumed to have evolved within a certain geologic time period should only appear in certain sedimentary rock strata or layers that match that time period. The only problem with this concept of established fossil ranges is that the fossil ranges keep changing. Uh, many fossils are being found every year that greatly expand the range of time that organisms are assumed to have lived. One example is a particular turtle known as Borimus. For more than a century, it was limited to the Campanian age of the late Cretaceous epoch, or from about 83.6 to 72.1 million years ago. But recently, Borimus has been found in rock strata that are supposedly 11 million years younger. That means that its range has been extended upward by 11 million years. 11 million supposed years in which, essentially, no change took place since the turtles look just the same throughout its expanded range. What impact does changing fossil ranges for organisms have on creation geology? Well, there is a general order that seems to be present in the fossil record. Fossils of smaller, so-called simpler organisms, which presumably evolved earlier, do tend to be found in lower rock strata. Fossils of larger, supposedly more complex organisms, tend to be found higher in the rock record. Evolutionists say that this order proves evolution, and it has been one of their challenges to creation geologists, who also obviously understand the global flood of Genesis to be true Earth history, to come up with an explanation of this order in the fossil record. One potential explanation is that the smaller ocean-dwelling organisms would have been buried first because they couldn't get out of the way of the sand, silt, and clay being washed off of the land that was being covered with water. Larger land animals could evade the rising water longer and so were not buried until later in the rising phase of the flood. However, the fact that the fossil ranges keep changing complicates the issue for evolutionists. In fact, the constantly changing nature of these supposedly fixed ranges is a serious problem for the evolutionists because they are constantly having to revise their theories of how the organisms may have evolved. But the fossils that are found, quote, out of place, unquote, are just what a catastrophic global flood event would be expected to produce.
So after all these millions of fossils have been found, has Darwin's theory been proved to be true the way he predicted it would be? Well, along with the problems for evolution I just mentioned, the fact is that there are still just as many gaps in the fossil record, if not more, than there were in 1859 when The Origin of Species was published. A quote by a well-known evolutionary paleontologist in the late 20th century says more than I could ever hope to say. Dr. Colin Patterson, who was the senior paleontologist at the British Museum of Natural History, had written a book titled Evolution. A man named Luther Sunderland, who was a creation scientist, wrote Dr. Patterson and asked him why Patterson had not included any photographs of transitional fossils in his book. Dr. Patterson wrote Mr. Sunderland and made the following confession. He said, and I quote, I fully agree with your comments on the lack of direct illustration of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. You suggest that an artist should be used to visualize such transformations, but where would he get the information from? I could not honestly provide it. And if I were to leave it to artistic license, would that not mislead the reader? End quote. Uh, to this day, there are no uncontested transitional fossils, not even the famous Archaeopteryx, which is supposedly transitional between reptiles and modern birds. Evolutionary bird experts point out that it has all the features of a modern bird, such as perching feet, fully formed flight feathers, and the skeletal requirements to be a strong flyer. And besides, modern bird fossils have been found in lower, therefore older, rock layers than the one Archaeopteryx was found in. So Archaeopteryx could not have been an ancestor of modern birds if they already existed. And of course, there is the problem of the fact that by far the majority of all fossils known to exist are marine invertebrate fossils, that is, seashells. In fact, almost every rock layer that contains fossils of land animals or plants also contains fossil seashells. So the evolutionists have the bigger problem explaining how seashells would have gotten way up onto the continents before being covered so they could become fossils. So the fossil record hasn't been the great help to Darwin's theory that he expected it, has it? Not at all. In fact, it continues to complicate and confuse the evolutionist's story of how life could have come to be without the creative work of God through the Lord Jesus, who the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 was the one by whom and for whom everything was made. It's really sad that evolution has blinded people to the fact that Jesus not only created the universe, the earth, and life, but came into the world to die on a cross to take the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin on himself. He paid the death penalty that we also earned by our sin and rose from the tomb to prove that he was and is God and could therefore be the perfect sacrifice that God's holiness demands. Thank you, Everett Coates, for being with us today. And thanks to you listeners for tuning in. You can find out more about TASC and some good information about the scientific study of the world from the perspective of those who take the scripture seriously at the TASC website, task-creationscience.org. That's T-A-S-C-creationscience.org. There you can learn about TASC's monthly meetings, which are open to the public, subscribe to the monthly newsletter, and read and download previous articles. Until next time, this has been Fred Johnson for Amazing Creation.